Did that? Did that? Vivid? Uh, maybe mine just did. Did somebody vivid? I, I, I vivided. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I vivided. Uh-huh. Welcome to the Red Dragon Sessions. This is Yvette, and with me, as always, is Bob. Hi, Yvette. Hey, Bob. This this episode of the podcast is dedicated to one of my best buddies who's going through a rough time today, mm. the day that we're recording this anyway. Mm-hmm. And so we just wish her a lot of love, and this one's for you, girl. So today I'm going to talk about when my dad died when I was eight years old what it was like being that age and and going through the process of the funeral and all the things. Mm -hmm. When I was eight, um, my dad lived in the mental hospital of Jefferson Barracks Veterans Hospital in St. Louis. Uh, He would come home on the weekends. We would go up on Friday evenings, we would get him, and then he would hang out with us all weekend. And then Saturday evenings, we would take him back to the hospital. So one Sunday, we're driving him up to the hospital. And it had been kind of a banner weekend. Normally, my dad was pretty sedated on drugs for PTSD and depression and just all of these issues that he had. He was also on heart medication. And dad had a lot of stuff going Mm -hmm. on, a lot of things to deal with. There was a lot of medication involved and there was therapy involved and things like that. I just remember that weekend was kind of a stellar weekend. Dad and I, like, we walked all over town on Saturday. Mm -hmm. And that was normally not his jam. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, pretty lethargic from the drugs and stuff. But Dad was, like, really chipper that Saturday. And that Sunday, after church, we went out in the yard and we played catch. And he taught me how to throw a rugby ball. Cool. And he taught me how to catch a softball. All this kind of stuff. So it was like really like a banner weekend for time with dad. So then we were on our way in the car, taking him back into the city because we lived about 50 miles out of St. Louis. At some point during the drive, my dad turned to my mom in the front seat. My mom was driving. My dad was up in the front seat. I was in the back reading because I always had my nose in a book or coloring or something. I can't remember. Something like that. I was I was like half paying attention to what was going on in the front seat because they were adults and they were boring. But then I heard my dad turn and say to my mom, well, you won't have to come back up here after this weekend. And it was really like the strange tone in his voice. And I immediately got very aware of the energy in the car, the weirdness of what he said. And I, I honestly don't remember if that was verbatim but it was it was along those lines of like well, you don't have to make this long drive up here anymore or something like that mm-hmm. and i just remember thinking in my own head i didn't say anything out loud because I, I kind of got scared mm-hmm. and i kind of froze but in my head i'm going the fuck we're not driving mm-hmm. back up here my instinct was to kind of freeze mm-hmm. and um my mom turned and looked at him and said I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? Just like he was completely, he was just talking nonsense. Like he is off his medication or something. I don't know. So then we got to the hospital and we, you know, mom did her little U-turn in the driveway area to drop him off by the door Mm -hmm. and we dropped him off. I remember having this very severe feeling of dread. Mm -hmm. I knew Mm -hmm. I was not going to see him again. Mm Mm-hmm. Even as a eight-year-old, mm-hmm. yeah. and that and and mind you, that two-second exchange in the car is mm-hmm. all I remember mm-hmm. about having that conversation, mm-hmm. about any conversation like that at all between my parents mm-hmm. about anything like that. It was like 1982, somewhere around there, and uh, yeah, nobody wore seatbelts. Kids didn't wear seatbelts. I was in the back of the car with no seatbelt or whatever. And I climbed up and looked out the back window. Mm-hmm. And my dad usually would wave and then he would walk in. And I think he was, was actually very sentimental, but he normally wasn't quite like movie sentimental. But <laughs> I remember being up on my knees in the seat, looking back, feeling this impending doom, just heavy, 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 dark air in the car all around me. And I just was like, what the fuck? And I had never really felt anything like that before. It was just really dark. 
my dad actually had stopped walking into the hospital mm -hmm. and he turned and he was looking at the car and he was crying. Mm -hmm. And and that did nothing to like help help my situation at all because I had never seen my dad cry. Mm -hmm. So I just I, and I remember just sitting in the back of the car, staring straight ahead for the entire drive home. What the fuck is wrong with my dad? Mm -hmm. You know, something like dark, dark, heavy, dark, dark. And I remember asking mom, you know, what's wrong with dad? Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, he's just his medication. He's just not feeling great or whatever. And I, which was totally anti everything I had felt all weekend. Mm -hmm. All weekend had been like sunshine and daisies and strolling through the park with dad and playing catch and all mm -hmm. this stuff. I couldn't, I couldn't put one in. Like, it was just this total amb ambiguous thing. Why does dad feel bad now? We were just playing catch like an hour ago before mm -hmm. we got in the car. Right. It didn't add up. It all didn't add up to me. We got home and um, I don't remember what exactly we did by, uh, by the time we got home, but I assume we ate dinner and everything. And I remember getting put to bed. Now, my mom had issues with cleaning. She's a bit of a hoarder. Issues with cleaning. She had issues with cleaning. Okay. She's a bit of a hoarder. So my bedroom by this point was full of stuff. So much so that you couldn't even get into the room. Wow. You couldn't even get into the bedroom. Jam so full of stuff everywhere. And I have no idea where the hell it came from. I don't know if it came from the basement, stuff that was up there, stuff that was upstairs, or like, I, I'm just not sure. I just know that at some point over the course of the last couple of years, my bedroom had filled up and my bed was now a couch in the living room. Okay. You know, but I didn't think there was anything odd about it or anything. I just, that's where, that's I, where I sleep. I don't, you know, really think anything of it. So she put me to bed and then about 10 o'clock that night, the phone rang and it was one of those big clunky metal phones it was like those phones you see in the movies that you kill somebody with that mm -hmm. you're actually going to crack their skull with this bitch because it probably weighed 50 pounds kind of old phones like i swear to god it's probably the same clunky phone rotary phone that like my grandparents used when they owned the house i swear to you it was like metal and heavy crazy like weighed like typewriter weight like <laughs> I remember the receiver was heavy for a kid. So it was loud, mm -hmm. very, very loud. Woke me up. My mom went into the other room and she got the phone and I could hear her talking and I was kind of drifting back off. And then I heard the sentence, well, was he dead when you put him on the monitor? That's an odd phrase. Immediately, I knew she was talking about my dad. She was talking to the hospital. I kind of... I, automatically knew what the fuck was happening. It wasn't another weird thing. It was like, right. oh, finally, like, you can actually anticipate something This actually adds up. Right. So I, I immediately knew, like, okay, she's talking about my dad. She's talking about, she's talking to the hospital. They're talking about my dad. They're talking about my dad on a heart monitor. Like, there was no question in my mind what, what the hell was happening. So my mom hung up the phone and everything became just this giant, quick blur. I had made up my mind that I was going. So while my mom had finished up the phone call, I would I had gotten dressed and I was like standing there with my little book by the door, like, let's go. <laughs> get your keys, get your purse, let's go. <laughs> what are we waiting for? So she was, no, no, you're not going with me. You're gonna stay with the neighbors, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, are you, are you, are you, are you? no, I'm getting in the car. And I actually went and got in the car. <laughs> go with that. I am going. My dad, something is wrong with my dad. I'm going. You're going to need my help. <laughs> and I'm here to help. I am here. <laughs> it was really just my whole attitude. Did you like, pop yourself in the front seat too? No, I was in the back seat. <laughs> driving Miss Yvette. <laughs> it was totally, yeah, it was totally driving Miss Yvette. But I was just, I was all up in the back seat, just like, come on, let's roll. And my Aunt Glenda showed up. And she coaxed me out of the car. I can't remember how or whatever. Oh, she told me we needed to go to the neighbor's house first before we can go over there. This amazing woman named Marie who lived next door. And she had her, she, her grandsons were spending the night. And so, and I knew her grandsons. We played together all the time. Aunt Glenda actually took my mom to the hospital and I was left with Marie and her grandsons. And they had this 
staircase that went upstairs to the bedrooms. Now, this is just what I remember feeling and, and stuff in the moment. So go with me on this ride. And when I think about this, I still feel it. So if, if I get like goosebumps or stuff. All good. Just let me ride it out. <laughs> they had this big staircase. Marie and the boys went upstairs and I went to follow them. And I just felt this presence Mm -hmm. come down the stairs and like wash over me. Mm -hmm. And I froze. Mm -hmm. I was not going up there. I didn't know what was up there. I'd been up there a hundred times at Marie's house. Like this was not a strange place to me or anything like that. This wasn't new. This wasn't like a new place or a weird place kind of thing. This, This was second home kind of. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I was, I was not going up there. Gordy being two years older than me, he came downstairs, back downstairs. And he was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I'm, I'm going to couch. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to sleep here on the couch. <laughs> and Gordy was like, no, no, you're going to come upstairs with the rest of us where we can take care of you. And mind you, he was 10, but he was like, we're going to take care of you. You're our friend. Mm-hmm. And so he holds my hand and we go upstairs. And this whole time I'm up there and this whole time I'm there, I'm just feeling like heavy, 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 weight, heavy, weight, heavy, weight, heavy, weight, heavy, weight, heavy, weight. And I am not sleeping like everybody else is sleeping. Like Grandma Maria is snoring and I can hear the boys sleeping. I just was not going to sleep, not going to sleep at all. And then out of the blue, all the weight lifted. Mm-hmm. All the weight was gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the presence was gone. Everything was gone. Mm-hmm. And I fell asleep. Mm-hmm. Got up the next day. Mom wasn't home yet or anything. Hadn't heard from Aunt Glenda or anybody. And so we just, you know, we had breakfast and we started playing. And what was weird was I was home from school. Because mm-hmm. it was Monday. It was May, April, May. So the school year hadn't ended. Marie didn't send me off to school. She didn't send her grandsons off to school either. We were all home. Mm -hmm. I didn't know for sure what had happened, but I just figured, you know, my mom would be home and she would tell me what happened with dad and it was all fine. So finally, my mom got home with, with Aunt Glenda and Marie and her husband are sitting in the living room and my mom has brought the pastor from the church with her. And he decides he's going to sit me down and and explain what happened. My mom is pretty much in hysterics Mm -hmm. through this whole process. Mm -hmm. And she sits down on one side of the pastor. The pastor sits me down. He puts his arm around me. And he's like, Yvette, I want to talk with you. Last night, your dad went with Jesus. And I looked at him and I said, which one? Of course. He's looking around the room and nobody in the room has a clue what's going on. And he goes, well, he went with the real Jesus. And I said, which one was a real one? Because it's been like a point of. Right. This has been like a thing. Like yeah. I know of three that I saw in the cafeteria. That all claim to be. That all claim to be Jesus, Jesus. And nobody told me otherwise. I just saw this very. It was funny, but it was a serious discussion amongst men that all three of them were Jesus. You know, I was going with it. I was like, which one was the real one? And the pastor was trying to remember how he worded it, but he just was so flamudgeoned. Like he'd just never been confronted with that question. He tried again because apparently this was his speech that he made to children or something that tried to be to try to like gently tell a child that their parent had died. So bless his heart. He had really never been confronted with Lily Yvette. Well, it's not that usual that somebody has had an opportunity to meet multiple people who claim to be Jesus. Especially not an eight-year-old. Yes. Another one that he said was, well, you're, you know, Jesus came to the hospital for your dad. I, I was still like looking at him like he was crazy. There was already one there. I was taking him very literally. Finally, Gordy looks looks at me dead in the eye and he goes, hey, he's trying to tell you that your dad has died. And my reaction was, why didn't you say that? Why did you do this whole thing with Jesus and stuff? And why didn't you just tell me? 
And the pastor is, he literally can say nothing. He doesn't have anything to say. He had like, he, this has not been a scenario he has worked out as, as happening. And my mom just like bursts into tears and runs out of the house, followed by Aunt Glenda, who's kind of taking care of her. But for me, it was all just very matter of fact. I didn't get emotional about it in the moment. And I'm sitting there waiting for somebody to tell me what to do now. Because mm-hmm. I'm eight. I don't know what to do now. I feel like over the night or over, like, I feel like I had processed a lot mm-hmm. by the heaviness that I felt. And, and because I have this em- empathic mm-hmm. thing about me, I feel like, I feel like my little brain and my little system processed a lot the day before mm-hmm. that I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And it was all just very matter of fact to me, mm-hmm. but I didn't cry right then or anything. So there was a lot of stuff happening that happened. My dad was very well known in town and it was a very small town. So a lot of people were calling. A lot of people were stopping by. A lot of people from the church were just, you know, everywhere we would go. A lot of people were like, oh, we're so sorry. Oh, we're so sorry. Oh, we're so sorry. And this is where I I have a little judgment on myself. I was very nonchalant and very matter of fact about it. I don't know if I just built up such an immediate wall around myself or what, but every time somebody would, oh, we're so sorry, or, you know, you have our deepest sympathies or whatever, I would just be like, okay. You know, my mom would burst into tears. I don't think a little kid knows what that means. I don't think anybody who's been around the sun eight times has built up enough what that means, what you're going to miss. Right. You know, since, I mean, a lot of kids don't even remember earlier than a certain age. Mm -hmm. So like your memories with your dad would have been a handful yeah like of of years you know Mm -hmm. and obviously a super deep connection and it sounds like you guys were always kind of in the moment whenever you were with each other was very connected and did you feel like when you were going up the stairs that was him did you did you have that sort of weight feeling no I didn't feel like it was him Mm -hmm. I felt like it was a different presence Mm mm-hmm I wasn't sure what it was, but mm-hmm. I felt like, and, and over the years I've tried to, I've thought about it. I mean, I haven't put like tons and tons of brain power into it, but it's occurred, you know, it's occurred to me to think about it or it's come up in conversation over the years. And mm-hmm. I've often wondered if it was my dad and I didn't recognize it because mm-hmm. it felt so heavy and dark and mm-hmm. I didn't feel that way around him. Mm-hmm. Or if it was, if it was some sort of entity or spirit or energy mm-hmm. reaching out to just be like, mm-hmm. you know, happening, things happening, mm-hmm. heaviness happening, mm-hmm. you know, can, you know, some people might call it an angel. Some people might call it just energy mm-hmm. or, or just a feeling or something. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I've never really tried to put a lot of effort into understanding exactly what it was because I don't feel like I want to or need to. Mm-hmm. It was very real to me and very an in the moment experience. And I feel like if I tried to break it down or if I did some sort of science or something like that to like get to exactly what it was that the combination of emotion and I it's weird to say, but comfort mm-hmm. of feeling that presence mm-hmm. would go away. And I don't want that memory to go away. It's mm-hmm. not a memory I want to go away. Because mm. it doesn't make me feel bad. It doesn't make me afraid. Mm. It doesn't make me feel bad. It doesn't make me sad or angry or anything. It's actually, it's a comforting memory to me that night. It's interesting that you would feel that if you did name it or try to understand it more, that it would go away. I think that's interesting. Because mm-hmm. I don't I don't think necessarily things do go away if if you well not really go away but that naming it or understanding what it was might change how i feel about it hmm. kind of an ignorance is bliss kind of yeah yeah at the, at the same time though you knew in that moment exactly how you felt and that is how you felt mm-hmm. and you don't have to name it you know yeah. what i mean yeah. also it sounds like it was a big exhale lifting that heavy presence mm-hmm. you know and making it so you could go to sleep mm-hmm. was like somebody saying it's okay yeah. It, whatever was happening was like a big exhale. Yeah. And like, you can yeah. just like, you can be okay. Mm-hmm. 
And lo and behold, you were. And lo and behold, <laughs> I was. And 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 you know, my my mom and my aunt Glinda eventually. Nobody's ever told me exactly what happened. I have pieced together mm. what happened from the hospital because anytime I tried to talk to my mom, she would just burst into tears. They didn't tell you. They didn't. Nobody actually sat me down and told me. Now, Aunt Glenda is a very, very clever woman. She was always very observant of where I was and what I was doing when we were at her house. So we spent a lot of time at her house over the next week or so. Mm -hmm. She would get these conversations going with her husband or with her daughter, who was much older than me. And she would talk about what was happening with them, knowing full well I was not that far away and that I, Bugs Bunny might be on the TV, but I was listening to what the hell was going on every place else. Because Aunt Glenda is a smart bitch. <laughs> she would talk about it with her husband or she would talk about it with her daughter. Or she would even talk about it a little bit with my mom. But my mom has this had, well, still in sometimes in certain ways, has this hurdle about talking about that night with me. And that's okay. That's okay. I don't need the story from her. Mm -hmm. I don't need the play-by-play -play from her, mm -hmm. per se. I can get the play-by-play -play around me, mm -hmm. right? From this, I, I I learned that he had had he had started having chest pains, mm -hmm. and that whatever call button or monitor or whatever it was supposed to go off or something didn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, or no nurse had come if he had pushed the nurse call button or whatever, but he had walked down the hallway mm -hmm. to try to find someone. Mm -hmm. And he had made it to the doctor's lounge. Mm -hmm. And he had gone in the doctor's lounge and the doctors were like, are you feeling okay? And he said, no, I've got chest pain. And then he collapsed in the doctor's lounge. And he had had a heart attack. And that they had gotten him on monitors and obviously, you know, code blue, all the things. Mm -hmm. And they were not able to revive him. Mm -hmm. And that was basically what had happened. I wonder how he would have known that, like in the car when he was saying to your mom. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if he felt it coming. I don't know what he felt. I know he was very empathic as well. Mm. There were there was a, a very short time in my life in my 20s where I thought, did my dad plan on hurting himself? Mm -hmm. Was he that depressed? Did he mm -hmm. feel like he was going to hurt himself or whatever? Mm -hmm. And I quickly dismissed that by looking at the death certificate again. Mm -hmm. Cause of death was a heart attack. Mm -hmm. He did have heart disease. Mm -hmm. This was a possibility. He wasn't off his medication because I know mom had given him his medication before. we. I mean, I verified that with my mom. Like, mm -hmm. So I know that he didn't. But it it has always been something that I've wondered. Like, did he know how, you know, I think he did know. I, I believe he did know. I've occasionally wondered how did he know. But then again, I, I don't necessarily need every single solitary answer. Mm-hmm. I have plenty of other things where I need every single solitary answer because Yvette's a control freak. <laughs> this I'm willing to just let it be what it is. I can't change any of it. Mm -hmm. And knowing exactly what happened and exactly what he was thinking or exactly what happened at the hospital, you know, the, you know, precise timings of things or stuff like that. It's not going to change anything that happened. It's mm -hmm. not going to change how I feel about him mm -hmm. or any of it. So... Why not let those memories be what they are? Because mm -hmm. they're all, from my perspective, good memories, healthy memories. How wonderful you had that great weekend together. Yeah, that's often that's often talked about in our family. So, like, because dad slept, you know, dad slept twelve to sixteen hours a day yeah. on those meds and things. The most excitement dad and I had together when we were together on a weekend was um, I used him as like a big you know, chair extension where mm -hmm. I watch TV on mm -hmm. and ate and used him as like a table and chair, like <laughs> get my cereal bowl, sleep there, have a nap, get up, go make a sandwich on the day, come chair. back, climb up back up in the dad chair, watch Dukes of Hazard. You know, that was a Friday night. It was great. <laughs> that was, that was like the extent of the weekend, you know? So for dad to be like, 
okay, let's go for a walk or come on, let's go do this. Or, you know, I found your brother's old baseball glove, you know, let's go play catch. And I was like, what? A dad chair. <laughs> okay. Outside. <laughs> and what was the funeral like? The funeral was, well, the days following, the days following that week, the funeral was the next week because he had died on a Sunday night. So there was like a whole week. And I remember, oh my God, there was a day where my mom, I was out of school the whole week, which was very disconcerting to me. Although I kind of felt like fun in a way. Mm-hmm. That was a, yeah. mm-hmm. I should say that I have been around a lot of funerals. So I knew a lot of funeral etiquette. Like my grandparents were older. My, my parents were definitely older. I mean, my dad was 50 seven when he died i was eight so i mean there's like you know he was older his parents had already died before i was born my grandfather was you know really old when i was born you know things my grandfather was like my great-grandfather's age Mm -hmm. things like that i had been maybe to 10 or 12 funerals by the time i was eight for older members of the family my grandfather's brothers or sisters Mm -hmm. things like that my grandmother's sisters for sure mm. um so i had a lot of funeral etiquette i know it sounds weird to say it. so i knew how to behave and i knew kind of the procedure mm-hmm. there's going to be a trip to a florist there's going to be a trip to the funeral home there will be a viewing and then there'll be the day of the funeral this is a thing you know mm-hmm. so i kind of knew what was going to happen in general i kind of knew the thing that threw me off, though, was my mom took me to the hospital to pick up dad's death certificate. So we actually sat with the doctor and the doctor. I remember the doctor feeling like the doctor was really amazing. A lot of veterans hospital doctors get a lot of shit these days. But this doctor, I remember being very amazing. My mom sat on one side of me and instead of the doctor just talking to my mom, Mm-hmm. He actually came around his desk and sat in one of the chairs, mm-hmm. put me in a chair, mm-hmm. sat on the sat on the other side of me. So it's the doctor, me, and then my mom, mm-hmm. and actually talked to both of us, mm-hmm. interacting with both of us. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, here, ma'am, here's your husband's death certificate, sign here, or whatever. It was to both of us. It was a discussion with both of us about what had happened and things like that. And I remember my mom had a lot of questions about the veterans benefits and everything. My mom was very smart to ask a lot of questions up front Mm -hmm. because she knew if she walked away, getting another appointment with this doctor or something to talk about things was going to be a problem. So she did ask a lot of questions. She talked to veterans representatives that were at the hospital. It was a long day at the hospital is what it was. But I did see one of my Jesuses and I said hi and waved at him. But by then I understood that it wasn't any of them. By then I understood what the pastor was trying to say. So my dad was very well known around town. It was a small town. Um, So it ended up being, and this was a lot for me. Uh, It really was. I was eight and it was a lot. So I mentioned before that I had some funeral etiquette forgive me world, but there was a lot of attention being paid to me because it was my dad that died. And I I was still a really sort of loud and rambunctious kid. It was a lot of time, like the whole week had been this, you know, my dad dying and then going to the doctor's office and then going to the funeral home and then going to make plans and then going by the newspaper office for the obituary. And It was a lot. It was a lot. And for me in that, during that week, everything was kind of free form. I mean, oh, and we also went to the airport to pick up my brother and sister-in-law and like, it was just a lot of stuff. And there, it was all sort of, there was no uh, schedule. There was no uh, regular schedule or things like that, which kids need or they get, you know, crazy. And I was just naturally loud. I'm still kind of naturally loud. I know. I saw that look on your face, Bob. You're like, you were? <laughs> Shocking. I'm shocked. I'm so shocked. <laughs> you? Outgoing and loud? What? My mom, um, during various times during this this three days, she would just, she would cry. She would be hysterical. She would, you know, burst into tears and 
and and be mournful and I didn't understand it. I really didn't get it. I understood it for a while, but after a while, I honestly, and this is my bad, I apologized to my mom several years later when I realized what my little attitude was. But I would just like throw my hands up and go, oh my God, not again. She's crying. We have all this stuff to do. There are people to talk to and you're crying again. That was really my attitude. Sorry. That's like, it's a horrible attitude. <laughs> it's horrible. And I, I did apologize to my mom when I was, you know, a teenager and I realized what I, what I was like during that week. And especially those three days, I apologized to her and I was like, mom, I'm so sorry. I didn't get it. And she was like, I never noticed. <laughs> she was like, I accept your apology. You're my, you're my girl. She's like, I never took it badly. She's like, I didn't even really notice that piece of your attitude that you're seeing. She's like, you might be amplifying it in your own head. Maybe you kept it more in your own head than the way you were expressing it. I was still this kid that like basically ran everywhere. So I would be running up and down the aisles every time I saw somebody. And there were lots of extended family that I only saw once a year or so, even if I saw them that often. And this is at the viewing? This is at the viewing. I had resigned myself that I had to wear the fancy dresses and things like that. I didn't put up a fuss because I was like, nope, I get it. Funeral etiquette. I have to wear the little, I have to wear the dress I hate. Like I wear three of those and yep, nope, I got it. Like I just resigned myself that I was going to do it. I didn't put up a fight or a fuss like I normally did. I just went with it. So one of the things that happened that week was we went to the florist. My mom wanted to get this big red and white splay of roses for the casket. Mm -hmm. And I was like, nope, dad would not like that. That wasn't his thing. He didn't want a big thing. Like everybody else, mom is going to send big things of flowers and stuff. And like, let's keep this simple. Let's not do this. My aunt, who is very, very smart, is my, my mom's aunt, my great aunt, very, very smart, talks my mom into having me pick out something special, just myself. I found in the florist shop this beautiful satin white pillow, which as it turns out is used for weddings when, what is he called? Like ring bearer? The ring bearer. Yeah. When the ring bearer, I was going to call him a little groomsman. Oh, but the mini groomsman. The mini groomsman. Yeah. They're also known as a ring bearer. Yeah. But yeah. it's the ring bearer's pillow. Mm. He takes the, you know, at a wedding or whatever. But I didn't know that. I just thought it was really soft and it was really nice and it was simple and it was white. So it matched the inside of the casket. And I was like, it was really lovely. And I commanded that there be only one red rose on it. And that was it. That 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 was the extent of what my dad would like because mm. my dad was a simple man. And the florist would try to suggest to me like, oh, yeah, maybe two yellow roses, one for you, one for your dad. And your dad was in the military and everything. And I was like, no, one red rose. And so finally, the florist just shut up and, and agreed to do it. When we got to the funeral home and everything was there and there's mom's big spray of roses and some of the flowers that other people had ordered and were delivered and stuff. And then there was my little pillow in the casket next to him. And it had baby's breath <laughs> with the red rose. No, not what I said. Not what I said. Mm -mm -mm. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Send it all back. <laughs> like I was just like, nope. And my aunt Glenda was like, don't worry. I'll take care of that before the viewing, whatever. And she did. She made the baby's breath go away before the funeral or before they had, we opened the doors for the viewing. She made the baby's breath go away. I was also pretty adamant that that was going to stay in the casket and be buried with my dad. Mm -hmm. But then after everything was done, my mom gave it to me as like a, you know, a memory or a keepsake thing. And and that's very sweet, but I was really pissed. I was like, it's supposed to be in the cast. How does this here? <laughs> like, I was really upset about that. The fact that it didn't stay in the casket. Well, don't you think still, I mean, not to get too symbolic, but don't you think the, the pillow is your dad, the soft pillow is your dad and you're the red rose. 
Oh like, my gushy dad chair. Mm -hmm. Don't do that to me. It's sweet. It's really sweet. Your little eight-year-old. Mm. If I, I cry in this session. No, you'll, you're fine. You're fine. Kick you. you don't have to kick me, but it just, the more you talk about it, the more it seems like your sweet relationship. Like, we're not going to play catch. We're, get dad chair. Like, yeah. or, you know, I yeah. mean, if you could have <laughs> included like a bowl of cereal with, you're like, baby's breath my ass. How about a bowl of cereal? How about some Cocoa Puffs? And like, yeah. some like Smurfs, Dukes yeah. of Hazard, whatnot. Yeah, where's my little Dukes of Hazard Hot Wheel? Like, can I put that in there? Like, mm -hmm. you know. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, if you want me to be, you know, feel like my dad is with him in the casket, then we need the Dukes of Hazard car. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Parents just don't understand. They don't get it. They totes like they really don't. Little kids can be really smart. Mm -hmm. Possibly it didn't register why you necessarily picked those things. Like at the time, mm -hmm. it's important to you and it should just have been honored, I think. But look, there's just as much of a chance that I would have turned around and been like, how could you let me have buried that with him? Mm hmm. There's, they, they, they flipped a coin, mm -hmm. it, you know, that's the truth of the matter. Mm -hmm. It could have gone either way in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. I don't harbor any ill will towards them or oh, anything no. for it, but I tend to stick with my decisions like that a little longer than most people. <laughs> <laughs> so my brother and my sister-in-law are there. They'd flown in from Germany uh, where my brother was stationed. I don't, I, I don't remember exactly what I was doing or what I was saying or how loud I was being or whatever, but I do remember my brother calling me over, like, you know, snapping his fingers and calling me over, being very stern with me. He wasn't yelling at me, but he was being very stern with, you need to calm down. This is a serious thing. And he had done that a couple of times. And so at one point he called me over and everything and he gave me the key to the house and he told me that the best thing for me to do was to go back to the house and just watch TV. During the funeral? Oh. The house, we were maybe like five houses down the block. Oh, so it was all on the same block. Wow. From the funeral home. Small town. He didn't walk me home. He didn't send me home with somebody. He didn't tell me to go to the neighbor's house. He didn't tell me any of that. He gave me the house key and sent me home and then proceeded to tell no one where you were that he sent me home that's not cool <laughs> that's not cool <laughs> that's not cool you're not dealing with your little sister who's 15 or 20 you're eight i'm eight i went home mm -hmm. i went home and i started watching tv and doing stuff around the house i had never been left home alone before either and then uh, somewhere over the course of the day, it hit me <laughs> a little bit. Perhaps this was all a bit too weird. I probably should go back down to the funeral home where I belonged. I think this was a couple of hours later. So I locked the house and went back down to the funeral home. Everybody was more than a little upset and relieved because nobody had been able to find me. They thought I was hiding somewhere in the funeral home. They had, everybody had been looking for me. This, it turns out, had been more disruptive on the day and more stressful and more freaked out my mother was. And still at no point had my brother told anybody that they sent me home, that he sent me home with the key. That's just strange. <laughs> to everyone involved, way more stressful, way more freaked out, way more everything than to have just been an adult and taken me outside to play ball or something or to like get the energy out of my system or something or talk to another adult and said maybe she's being a little too loud or rambunctious or something maybe some one of us should take her for a walk or take her over to the playground or something i would like to think there would be adults that would know that or think about that there's a lot of take care of yourself in this scenario mm -hmm. he didn't want to deal with his little sister. So he just let you deal with yourself and he didn't want your mom right. to have to think about anything. That's, uh, that's but, a lot of pressure to put on, on yeah. you actually. Yeah. And, and I totally get how he in the moment didn't want to deal with me. I get, I totally get that. Same for my sister-in-law. 
Same thing with not wanting my mom to have to deal with me or not wanting to put that pressure on my mom to deal with me. That I, I actually really respect all three of those. But I had Aunt Charlotte, Aunt Pauline, my grandfather, my grandma, two dozen other adults who knew me, some teachers from school there, so many adults that knew how to deal with children in this room. But your brother didn't have kids. No, he didn't have kids. And he also wasn't really around you when you Mm-mm. were little either. So no. he didn't didn't really know. Yeah. Mm-mm. So meanwhile, did everybody think you'd been like kidnapped or something? No, it was more like they were, they figured I was hiding somewhere playing a game. They really figured I was hiding somewhere or that I had finally succumbed to grief and was just hiding somewhere. So there had been some search parties around the funeral home and stuff. But apparently my brother was not involved in that or whatever. And so my brother never either never had the opportunity or never took the opportunity to say anything. But it was a couple of hours and it was a pretty, you know, the funeral home was pretty big, lots of rooms, lots of people that I would have been talking to or could have been, you know, watching out. There was not one person in charge of me during the whole thing. It was it was taking a village pretty much. And I was fine. But I never really looked at my brother the same after I realized what he had done. Like, you could have asked for help. Plenty of adults around you. To be fair to my brother, I don't necessarily remember how loud or rambunctious I was being. I kind of would like to thank my grandfather. Mm -hmm. I was his guitar tech. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so I kind of like to think that my grandfather would have been like, hey, get your shit together. But he never did that. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of at a loss. And also my brother's coping skills might not have been great either. A lot of odd factors. And again, I'm I'm none the worse for wear for it, but I was a whole lot more aware of my brother and who he was. After that. And yeah, after that. Of our relationship and dynamic. And after the funeral itself, my mom had a big meltdown when it was time to close the casket and say a final goodbye. She had a really big, big breakdown. And I remember I was quiet. I wasn't running around or anything like that, but I physically distanced myself because I think I had, in a lot of ways, I think I had already said goodbye. Mm-hmm. And I think it happened that night that he died. I think mm-hmm. I think my, my recognition of what was happening in the moment, even though I only heard part of the conversation on the phone, I think I had already done it. But she had a really big meltdown. And my mom is not known for this. My mom is not known for my mom. had always like kept a level head like shit happened. My mom got shit done. She took care of it. Boom. Super mom. Crisis averted. Moving on with life. Mm-hmm. Like that was my mom. So to watch her have this massive meltdown, it freaked me out. Really, really freaked me out. Mm-hmm. Um, not because we were saying goodbye to my dad. But just watching her and her behavior was so odd to me. And she kept asking for me and I kept being like, no, do not take me over there. Like they had to get her a chair to sit down because she had kind of like thrown herself on the casket kind of behavior and Mm -hmm. everything. And so they had sat her down. And and so like they kind of had to drag me over a little bit. And then it was actually my um, my grandfather who like got down on my level and he was like, she needs you to be the strong one right now. So go be strong right now and, and it'll be okay. And then I just kind of wandered. I was like, okay. It's like wind you up, point you in the direction and, <laughs> and, and off go. I go. And that's, <laughs> yep, that's it. That's, that's all I so did. He cute. just told me what I was supposed to do. And I think that for a lot of that weekend, that's probably what I actually needed. I needed to be like given some guidance, given, given some structure I didn't understand how I was helping her or anything, but she had just, she was just crying for me, you know, because mm-hmm. I think she felt, you know, she felt this massive loss and yeah, she wanted her baby. Mm-hmm. And then I remember we rode in a limousine over to the funeral home, which I kind of had mixed feelings about. <laughs> was it fun? Yeah, it was fun. It was, it's not supposed to be fun, but it was fun because it was a really giant car. Well, you plus you've been in a taxi, what, once before? Yeah. So this is like mega taxi. Yeah, totally mega taxi. And there were so many of us in it. That's the only thing I've actually felt guilty about being really happy about. 
that mm. time during that time because I was really excited. I was like, "Ooh, something to see!" At the cemetery, I remember I was a little bit like weirded out because it was army guys mm-hmm. instead of navy guys. Right. But because of the timing, they had just you know gotten some guys from Fort Leonard Wood Army Base to come and and do the flag and the salute. Well, my brother kind of got a little comeuppance because he thought since he was in the military, he should get the flag. And the guy who presented it to the family walked right past him and stood in front of me. And I stood up and he handed it to me. And the guy told me later, he was like, you are a very brave little soldier. And I was like, yes, I am. Yeah. I'm a very brave little soldier. So that was. I'm like, stop, stop. (laughs) I know. I'm kind of like, I'm welling. I'm welling. Ah, It's hard. It's hard. Is anyone else welling? Because I'm welling. Go, brave soldier. Go, brave soldier. (laughs) Ah. I'm welling. I'm welling. Um, You're fine. You're fine. I'm fine. (laughs) I'm fine. I'm fine. You're crying. It's fine. Everybody's fine. <laughs> As Bob blows, blows nose into a shirt. Yeah. Everybody's fine. fine. There's nothing to see here. I'm not crying. You're crying. You're crying. Braver little soldier. <laughs> if you cry, then I'm going to cry. Then everybody's going to cry. It's so sad. <laughs> I'm fine. Ah, uh, No, really, I'm fine. Uh, I'm crying. Now. I'm fine. You son of a bitch. Asshole. Motherfucking a-hole. Twat waffling wink puffins. Wink puffin. Seriously, I'm fine now. No. I'm looking this way intentionally. That's okay. So, no, but it was sad. Mm-hmm. It's okay to cry about it. Because that's, you know, it was over the next couple of days that I actually finally, it all finally caught up with me and I cried about it. But your brother was a fucking douche. I'm sorry. Oh, can I was. say that? Yeah, you can say that. It's so uncool. Like, <laughs> this person very clearly saw you exhibiting strong, supportive traits. And here's this older brother who, who god should have been like let me protect my little kid sister no he's like let me throw under the bus mm-hmm. and like and i'm quite sure he didn't even that soldier guy didn't even know he just like saw it and was just like ew you don't deserve any well i don't know i mean i don't know what the plan was because it was my mom who actually would have it was my mom would have had the it's for the ability to say who the flag gets given to. Because technically, if there's no direction, it goes to the widow. So you think that, that, so, that she would have said, actually give it to you, and he was just following through on... It's possible. Mm. It is entirely possible. It's entirely possible that she said my brother. But technically, because she was the widow, she would have had right of first refusal mm. to receive it in the moment at the funeral. Mm. Um, but I, I remember, I remember the white gloves. I remember everything vividly. I even remember the guy's eyes. Wow. Locking eyes with me. Did they do the 21 gun? I don't remember. My grandfather was buried at West Point. Um, mm-hmm. I just remember playing taps was fucking killed me. Oh my God. Like, you know I have, I have a supreme hatred for taps and that might be why. Yeah. I mean, it's really, but I don't remember if they played taps and I don't remember if there was a 21 gun salute. I know that I really, really hate the song taps. Yep. I really hate it. Mm-hmm. I also know that I really don't like 21 gun salutes. Well, they're all funeral things. They freak me the hell out. Mm-hmm. And whenever I hear that, I can even watch, even on TV and stuff, when I see them, I just, I, I jump 10 feet in the air, even though I'm watching it happen. I'm just like, oh, Mm -hmm. it rocks me to my core. And I honestly do not remember whether or not we had them at the funeral for my dad. I bet you did. We probably did. And that's probably why. But I vividly remember the guy's eyes. I remember his face. I remember the hat. I remember his, I really remember his white gloves handing me the mm-hmm. flag. Mm-hmm. I really, really remember that. And I remember he took a knee 
to give it to me on mm-hmm. my level. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that I really, really remember. So cool. That's like mm-hmm. total respect. Yeah. yeah. Respect. Mm-hmm. And I remember my brother was miffed. <laughs> and occasionally over the years, he asked me like if I had it. And I was like, yeah. And you're not getting it. <laughs> and you're not getting it. <laughs> I remember I had incredibly supportive teachers. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Hines in second grade. She was incredibly supportive. She would actually send home schoolwork with one of my classmates who lived another block down mm-hmm. who walked home. And I remember I remember being very proud that I like actually kept my schoolwork up. That was my job. Mm-hmm. That was my day job mm-hmm. when I wasn't on the road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was my day job. Right. But it was it was very relaxing to me to do schoolwork and stuff. That was the only sort of It's a nice distraction. That was the only sort of regiment. Mm-hmm. that I had and kids need structure. They need that even in times of crisis, mm-hmm. they need something to fall back on that is normal. That is mm-hmm. their normal mm-hmm. or their regular schedule. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for being able to do the homework then. I was grateful for the little things that happened that were like regular. So is there anything else about the funeral day? About the funeral day that I, you can think of? No, not really. Except a few years later my my mom, I don't understand this pictures with gravestones thing. I understand taking pictures of gravestones mm-hmm. and I understand taking pictures of people. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't understand how when I was like 12 or 13, we stopped by the cemetery and my mom wanted me wanted to take a picture of me with my dad's gravestone next to my paternal grandparents gravestone. What do you want me to, should I pose? Like, she's like, just stand there. Why? Like, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Just stand here between the two gravestones. Should I kneel down? Should I put a hand on? Should I pose? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. should I pose mournfully? Mm-hmm. I'm, what are you going? What's my direction, mom? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Give me direction. It's one of those cameras where it's it's not just going to go off on you. It wasn't like she, she set a timer on it. She's just waiting for a moment and she pushes the button on her own. So I'm really frustrated because like this is like a half an hour of my life. I'm not going to get back. So I eventually I'm standing between the two gravestones and I just raise my arms out to either side like ta-da. Mm-hmm. And she snapped it. And she snapped it. You didn't have to snap it when I put my arms up. <laughs> but she was so mad at me for that. What did she want the picture? Just for sentimental? I have no idea. She never. <laughs> All I needed was a little direction. It was very weird. But my grandma was like that, too, with pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my grandmother has a lot of weird pictures. Took a lot of weird pictures of me <laughs> just standing in front of things. Okay, so perhaps this was a family trait. It was I think this was, yeah. Sort of a, a yeah. thing. This was a thing, yeah. Like, randomly... My grandmother stopped the car one time randomly on the road and just told me to stand by the car. And she took my picture. Weird. <laughs> and then my mom did the same thing when my nephew was born and we drove to South Carolina. We stopped somewhere on the side of the road to have a snack and and she could take a break from driving. And just randomly, she's like, stand by the truck. I mean, maybe, maybe it meant maybe. more to her than perhaps at the time you might have been aware. Maybe. Maybe she was just sentimental that way. Like, maybe. Does she still do stuff like that? No. Thankfully, (laughs) no. You've been listening to the Red Dragon Sessions. Oh.